Well, good morning. Good to see all of you here today. Uh, hey, I want to let you know about a few people that we're praying for before I dive into the scripture and message. Uh, Jerry Cammon had a fall on Thursday and ended up having a brain bleed and then uh, had a seizure while he was in the hospital. And uh, he was not awake when I went over to pray with him yesterday, but we're, we're praying for Jerry and for Marge and their family. Um, Joan Cahill is the mother of Beth Solari, and uh, Joan is moving towards those final stages as she's been fighting cancer and um, asked that we would all pray for her. Joan's been a part of North River for probably about five years, and my mother-in-law is going through the same end-of-life process, and so we've been dealing with that at the same time. But uh, I wonder if you would join me in a prayer, not only for us, but for those who are going through these difficult days and for the caregivers in their families as uh, we all walk through these times. Father, thank you for being a God who is great, as we have just sung. You're greater than the heavens, you're greater than the earth, you're greater than all that we see or imagine, for you are the creator, you're the sustainer of life. You're the one who can meet us in our greatest days and in our darkest days as well. We lift up our church and all of our needs, the ministry that goes forward, the way that we try to impact our neighbors, the way that we try to live out our faith, the way that we try to fight our temptations. Sometimes, Lord, we don't realize how great the battle is around us. And we are unaware, even as Peter was unaware in the passage we're going to look at today, of the fact that the evil one longs to take us down, and sometimes the battles that we are fighting are spiritual. Sometimes those battles that we're fighting are biological and medical, too. We ask that you would walk closely with the Cammon family, and we pray for healing in Jerry's life and for strength, and that you will protect him during this time. We know that Jerry and Marge have been through a real challenging couple of years, and so we, we together ask that you pour out your mercy and your compassion and your healing power into his life. Pray for Joan Cahill and for, for Mary as well as they are going through these uh, end-of-life struggles with cancer, and for my family and for the Solari family and for the way that they are caring for their mom's and, Lord, we ask that in the right time, in the right way, you will welcome these folks home. We ask that you will give us a sense of awe and understanding of how you've created the body to, to fight for life, even in those final stages. We pray for wisdom and faith for all of us, that when those times come, that we will be ready, that we will have taken those necessary steps to, to put our faith in you and to put our hopes in you. Thank you for these two wonderful women who uh, clearly love you, clearly long to see you, and wonder why it gets so hard at the end. Lord, we pray for all of us who are here, who are functioning day by day and carrying on jobs and leading homes, and, and we ask that you would give us the, the metal that we need to have a vigorous faith that is ready for all the challenges that are around us, the challenges that are part of a culture that in many ways at least gives lip service to you and in other ways turns away from you. We pray that you would give us the kind of faith that dares to speak the name of Jesus at the right time in the right place and is willing to be heard. 
We, get, we pray that you would give us the kind of faith that rises through the setbacks and the difficulties and the depressions and all the things that hit us in different seasons of life. Fill us instead with hope, hope for today, hope for tomorrow, hope that we can represent you well, hope that you still do great things through your people. Give us ears to hear this morning as we open your word again and give us hearts to follow through on what we're learning. In Jesus' name, amen. This morning we're reading from Luke chapter 22. We're continuing on in this series that we've been uh, talking about now for, for four weeks, looking at great turnaround stories in the Bible. And this particular turnaround story focuses on Peter. Peter, you think of as the leader of the disciples, the most outspoken of the disciples, and yet Peter who crashes so big when he crashes. And so I'm calling this Jesus and the Recovering Disciple. Luke 22, starting with verse 54. This is on the night when Judas had betrayed Jesus and the soldiers had come and they had taken him away. Then seizing him, they led him away and took him into the house of the high priest. Peter followed at a distance. And when some there had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and had sat down together, Peter sat down with them. A servant girl saw him seated there in the firelight. She looked closely at him and said, This man was with him. But he denied it. Woman, I don't know him, he said. A little later, someone else saw him and said, You also are one of them. Man, I am not, Peter replied. About an hour later, another asserted, Certainly this fellow was with him, for he's a Galilean. Peter replied, Man, I don't even know what you're talking about. Just as he was speaking, the rooster crowed. The Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. Then Peter remembered the word the Lord had spoken to him. Before the rooster crows today, you will disown me three times. And he went outside and wept bitterly. Have you ever considered the close connection between Failure and success. One Major League Baseball player, for instance, set the dubious record for being the batter who struck out more than anyone else in the game. And he held that record for several decades. That player's name, however, was Babe Ruth. And he hit so many more home runs than anyone else ever had to that point that his strikeout seemed to pale in comparison to the home runs that we remember. Eventually, another New York Yankee, Mickey Mantle, surpassed that strikeout record, and he hit quite a few home runs, too. The modern era for baseball has featured quite a few baseball players, a few players who struck out more than Ruth today. So at one time, while Ruth was at the head of the list for strikeouts, today he falls somewhere about 125th on the list. He's been surpassed by Manny Ramirez, Barry Bonds, Mark McGuire, Jim Tomei, Jeff Bagwell, David Ortiz had more strikeouts than Babe Ruth, Alex Rodriguez, Sammy Sosa, Jose Canseco, and a whole bunch more. In fact, Babe Ruth isn't even in the top 125 anymore. Tops on that all-time list is none other than Mr. October Reggie Jackson, who also hit 563 home runs. Now here's the point, rather than all these little statistics and numbers. Sometimes there is a very close connection to failure and success, depending 
on how people respond to those failures. The current series that we're looking on is called Great Turnarounds, how God uses second chance people. But tied to each of those turnarounds is some kind of a down moment where something happens, where faith falters, where fear wins. And in this series, we're looking about the recovery work that God does within his people after those moments. So this morning, we're going to focus on the turnaround that we see in the life of Peter, the disciple who denied even knowing Jesus on the night when he was betrayed and accused and probably needed Peter more than any other time. The topic is Jesus and the recovering disciple. Why does that matter? You and I, if we are Christians, we are disciples. And there are good days that we have, and there are terrible days that we have. There are days when we honor Jesus, and we go to the mat for him, and there are days when you and I are tempted to falter and deny that we even know him because there's somebody out there who just might look at you funny. And all of a sudden, this becomes very relevant. Welcome to North River today. I'm so glad to see so many of us here at our Pembroke campus, and I want to extend an especially warm welcome to all of you who are watching online. You are very, very much a part of this. And I want to challenge those of you who are watching online today. Tell a friend, invite a friend. What you are doing this morning is the safest way that somebody can check out our church anonymously, and this can spread like wildfire if you spread the news, and if you tell people what you are finding as well. So thank you for making the effort to participate with us, and we continue to worship and learn together wherever we are. There are some simple ways that you can connect with us if you're new to North River. You can text the word hello to this number, 781-227-8765. That's 227-8765. Those last four all go down the list together. Or you can check out our website, northriverchurch.org, if you look for the I'm New button uh, that will lead you to a connection card. Or you can go out to the Welcome Center if you're here today and ask for a connection card and fill that out. And that ends up on my desk and we begin the conversation. If you can't remember any of that, here's my email, paul at northriverchurch.org. I'd love to hear from you and I hope you'll take me up on that. So here's our question for today. How does Peter's failure and restoration to ministry impact you and me? I'd like to tackle two thoughts here. The first is why Peter's denials are troubling for us. And then I'd like to look at how Peter's restoration is encouraging for us. The the shorter part of this is why Peter's denials are troubling. There, There are a number of reasons. I think the first is that we expect better from Peter. Peter shows up in the Gospels as the Alpha Disciple. He's the first one that Jesus calls to follow him on the shores of the Sea of Galilee. He's the first one to voice his faith. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus had just stated that he had conferred the kingdom on Peter and the disciples just as God the Father had conferred a kingdom upon Jesus. Imagine that right after Jesus makes that statement. This is when Peter denies even knowing Jesus. Here's a second reason why I think that Peter's denials are troubling. Peter was a man's man. Can we still say that in this age? I know that's probably not very uh, socially uh, aware, but guys know what I'm talking about here. Peter was a man's man. His name comes from the word Petros in Greek that means the rock. In other words, he was rocky before there was rocky in the movies. Most of the time, he lived up to that name. 
He's the rough, tough fisherman who's bold and doesn't seem to fear anything. Peter was the kind of guy you wanted as a friend, especially when times got rough or if you got in a fight. He would be behind you and he would be the next one to throw a punch. There are times when you and I want to know and have a friend like Peter. Peter was the one who took out his sword when they came with Judas to arrest Jesus. Can you imagine that? One against uh, a whole uh, contingency of soldiers. He had that decisiveness about him. He gave up his business and followed Jesus on the spot. He had that boldness in him. He had some fight in him. I like that about Peter. Watch him take out that sword. Watch him whack off the ear of anyone who would dare to put his hands on my Jesus. That's what was going through his head. I kind of like Peter. Third, Peter had said the things that we hope to say in moments like that. When Jesus asked, why do you say, uh, who do you say I am? Peter was the one, not the other disciples, who, who blurted out those words. You're the Christ. You're the son of the living God. And he did it in a place where the temple that Herod had built to Caesar was up on the hillside above the cliff at Caesarea Philippi. And those words could have gotten Peter killed in that moment. Caesar was worshipped as a god. When Jesus warned him, Peter insisted, I'm ready to go to prison or to death for you. When Jesus had predicted his own death, Peter was the one who stopped in and said, this will never happen to you. That was when Jesus responded and said, Satan, get behind me. You know, don't try to tempt me in that direction. Peter said the very things that we hope to say. And even on that night, Peter had not run away. Most of the original disciples had fled when the soldiers came to arrest Jesus. He told them it was going to happen. They all denied that it would happen, but they instantly scattered. Judas was with the soldiers. He got paid, and then in remorse, he took his own life. Only Peter, only Peter and John followed behind the soldiers to see what would happen to Jesus and were on scene at the home of the high priest's family. It appears that John knew somebody and he'd gone into the inner courtyard and they let him in and he comes back and he talks to Peter and brings Peter out into the the outer part of the yard where there's a fire and then John goes back inside. This is why we know as much of the dialogue as we have about the interrogation of Jesus because John was inside and Peter was just outside at that place. Peter was watching guard in the outer courtyard where he could still keep his eyes on Jesus. I think that even in that moment, Peter, in his own way, was trying to be protective of Jesus. He was trying to look out after him, but he wasn't prepared on the inside for what was going to come. And then one last one, Peter's denials are troubling because we make these promises. That's the word you're missing if you're looking in the back notes, the word promises. We say these words, I will never disown you, Jesus. Or we sing the words, the cross before me, still I will follow. And now we think, if Peter cracked, will I really be able to stand up to the test when my time comes? When I'm called out in front of other people, 
will I truly, in the heat of the battle, rather than in the safety of the church building, will I honor the name of Jesus in those moments? Well, what can we learn from the way that God deals with Peter and restores him? I think the larger lesson is dealing with Peter's recovery and why Peter's recovery is encouraging us uh, to us. Here's the first reason. Jesus isn't surprised by anything. Luke 22, verses 31 and 32, Jesus says, Simon, Simon, his larger name was Simon Peter, Simon, Satan has asked to sift all of you as wheat. But I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not uh, fail, and when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. This tells us that even before Peter entered that courtyard, Jesus knew that Peter was going to fail, and he wasn't surprised by Peter's courtyard face plant. That's exactly what this is. He falls right on his face. He was presented with three opportunities to stand up for Jesus. Wow, something just flashed into my head. I remember a hymn from my, the church that I attended in my boyhood. Stand up, stand up for Jesus, ye soldiers of the cross. Wow. Peter didn't stand up in that moment. But three opportunities came his way. He could have said, of course I know him. And if you did too, you would realize he's God's son. He's the savior of the world. He can walk on water. He can make the blind see. And he can save your soul too. But he didn't. It was just a servant girl. But he backed down under the incredible, intense heat of the pressure she put on him in that moment. At least somebody laughed. Good. But Peter didn't say any of those things that night. Here's the takeaway. Jesus isn't surprised by any failure that you and I can bring to this discussion either. He never will be. We tend to write our own script here. Jesus can't use me because. There's this one moment when I failed him. There's this one moment when I, my life went off the rails. There's this one moment where I said the wrong thing, did the wrong thing, thought the wrong thing, looked the wrong way, went to the wrong party. Have you seen how far from reality that script that plays in our heads really is? In this series, we've looked at Moses, the runaway murderer, Okay, God used him to redeem his people from slavery. We saw Naomi, the bitter widow, and God used her and Ruth to raise up a king who believed in God's ability to provide even against the most impossible odds. We looked at David, the man with not only a heart after God's own heart, but a deceptive heart too. And despite the consequences, he wrote some of the most beautiful psalms and songs ever after his greatest moment of failure. And now here's Peter. Peter, the guy that we expect better of. And he fails too. Your next chapter in serving the Lord may be your most effective because you have failed and because you know that you have to lean on his strength and wisdom rather than your own. That's usually what God does with those moments. He finds us in those moments of pride where we think that my own faith is so strong, your own faith is so strong, it can carry me through anything. And then you come up against some kind of obstacle that surprises you, shocks you, and rocks you to your core. And you face plant. 
And the outcome after he picks you up is that in the kind of recovery work that God does in our lives, sometimes our greatest strengths are only found after those moments when we begin to get back into the fight, when we begin to get back into his graces, knowing that before we did it in our own strength and that our own pride took over, and that only when we lean on his strength do we find that we have all that we need. Are you willing to let him write this next chapter of your life? There may be better days coming. Is he tapping you on the shoulder to trust him in a whole new adventure? You may be surprised by what has come before. You may be, have been surprised by the moment when you were weak. But Jesus is not, and he never will be. You may finally be in the place where he could use you even more impactfully, like he did with Moses at the age of 80. So let me introduce the big idea that's running through this message this morning. Jesus turns failures into opportunities when we add humility to correction. Oh, he corrects us. Oh, he finds a way. He brings the person into our pathway who says, you are the man, David. You know? He brings that other person who says, Paul, don't you realize what you just said? You know? He corrects us. But when we add humility to that correction, he turns our failures into opportunities for greater things. And he does this over and over and over. It's why we're going through this particular series and just highlighting a few of those occasions where he's done this with his people in the past. Here's a second reason why Peter's recovery is encouraging. Failure does not have to be final. I love the words in verse 32 where where Jesus says to him, this is before Peter denied knowing him. This is when Peter is still saying, oh, no, that's never going to happen. I'll never happen that. Look, I'm ready to go to prison for you. I'm ready to die for you, Jesus. And notice what he says. And when you have turned back, Peter. I love those words. That may be one of the greatest phrases in the entire New Testament. Rarely are we taught to prepare for failure. We live within a culture that rewards the winners. We tell stories and write songs about the champions. Queen didn't write, we are the losers, my friends, and we'll keep on losing to the end. But if we're honest, failure is often a necessary part of the struggle. And so we read from history that Thomas Edison failed 10,000 times before finally inventing the light bulb. 10,000 The filaments burned out too fast. The the glass bulbs broke. Something else happened. But he didn't call them failures. You know what he called them? He called them experiments. Okay, I'm not trying to say that our moral failures are simply experiments. But every comeback is an opportunity. And Jesus treats those earlier failures like they were experiments because he keeps giving us another chance to get it right. Peter's recovery teaches us that failure never has to be final. Yes, he failed failed spectacularly during Jesus' greatest hour of need, but Jesus had prepared him for a mission, and he wasn't through with Peter yet. Three times Jesus would ask Peter, Do you love me, Peter? I have no doubt that Jesus was giving him the opportunity to reverse each of those denials. But three times, Jesus also reiterated the mission forward. Feed my sheep. Feed my lambs. Feed my sheep. 
Have you failed Jesus in some way? Have you broken a promise that you made to him? Have you walked away from using a spiritual gift or talent that he gave you? Have you let other people or other things or other priorities get in the way of serving him first? Whereas once that was high on your list... The answer for all of us at some point is most likely, yes, I have. Too many times. So dust yourself off. Get back in the game. I've said this several times. My biggest lesson from playing football from junior high through to college was this. When you play fullback, you get knocked down and you get back up again. I played the one position where you get knocked down every single play of the game. The question is always, will you get back up again and go into the next play? The time comes when you can't play, and so you coach. (laughs) And the only way you can coach is if you have experience by continuing on. Wherever you are, get back up and get in the game. Third reason why his recovery is encouraging to us. Failure can often push us forward. Look at this dialogue that comes from John chapter 21. That's where Jesus meets Peter on the beach after the resurrection, brings up what happened in the denial in a subtle way, reminds him of it, but also pushes Peter forward in the mission. Verse 9, it says, When they landed, they'd gone out fishing with Peter, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. I believe that John deliberately tells us about the scenery here, that there was a fire on the beach and there were burning coals. When was the last time that we see Peter in the Bible dealing with burning coals? Around that fire in the courtyard of the high priest when he denied even knowing Jesus. Verse 15 says, When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Peter knew that he had messed up. Many people who read this chapter of John's gospel are convinced that Peter was about to give up. He was ready to go back into the fishing business. He'd failed as a disciple. But the magic wasn't there anymore. They went out all night and they caught nothing. And now we see that Jesus is on the beach. They don't realize it's Jesus yet. He's calling out to them. He's got a fire of burning coals and he caught some fish. And we remember then that the last time that Peter was around a fire was when he denied even knowing Jesus. Denied that he was even a friend. Your nose is tied to your olfactory sense where smells begin. And smells trigger powerful memories. I have no doubt that Peter's mind was filled with the scene of his failure around that fire. What better place for Jesus to bring that measure of correction and recommission into his life Failure was not the end that Jesus had in mind for Peter. In fact, when he foretold how Peter would fail, he added one more important thought. It's that thought, and when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. In other words, when you've turned back, use this, Peter. Use it for good. Think of it this way. Jesus had never failed like that. But Peter had which meant that Peter was uniquely prepared to help us understand and help other people understand how we come back from our spiritual failures. 
Who better to give a ministry of restoration and recovery to than somebody like Peter? Peter wouldn't lead in the old way as Peter the rock who never failed, Peter who was full of himself, Peter who was operating in his own strength and his own pride. Peter would lead in a new way as the recovering disciple who picks himself off and dusts himself off and who encourages bruised disciples along the way. Recovery Peter is a far more fascinating guy than prideful Peter. And I have no doubt that he was far more effective that way for the rest of his life. Attach your name to that thought. Maybe you need to be Recovery Paul or Recovery David, Recovery Bob. God knows all the challenges you've been facing, but he also knows that if you use what it is that you've been going through and give it back to him, that the new you may be capable for a far richer ministry and effectiveness than ever before because he allowed you to go through what you've gone through. And now he's supplying strength and wisdom for you to lean on him in a completely different way. I'll lead to my, my final thought here. Recovery can lead to a strength that is greater. Recovery can lead to a strength that is greater. Parts of verse 17 through 19 of John chapter 1, Jesus said, feed my sheep. As they're standing there walking away from the fire so the rest of the disciples can't hear this. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. John writes, Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. And then he said to him, Follow me. Yes, Peter had failed in that earlier test, and Scripture records that for us. Not to shame Peter, but to show the true man. The gospel and the book of the Acts of the Apostles also show greater days of ministry that Peter had long after that moment of failure, long after Jesus had ascended to the Father, where Peter became bolder and bolder and bolder step by step. Peter became a powerful preacher of the gospel, emboldened by the resurrection. Can you imagine Peter putting his arm around some disciple who has stumbled? Oh, you think that you've messed up? Let me tell you my story. Jesus corrected him gently, and Peter received that with humility. And he went forward with a newfound strength. Church history tells us that when it came time for Peter to die, the Romans wanted to crucify him as they had done with Jesus. And Peter, not feeling that he was worthy of dying in the same manner as the Lord, after they had tortured him and done whatever they had done, insisted that they hang him upside down on the cross. And that's the way he died. Where does that strength come from? We're not born with that. It's not natural. I think it came from the recovery and the restoration that Jesus brought into his life because sometimes recovery can lead to a strength that is far greater than we can ever imagine. So I want you to think of Peter in two phases of life. There's the early Peter. There's Rocky Peter. 
full of pride, first one to speak. I'll never let this happen, Lord, only to hear Satan get behind me. And then there's recovery Peter, who is a force to be reckoned with because he learned how to lean on the strength of God like never before. Jesus turns failures into opportunities when we add humility to correction. Let's pray. Father God, you know all of us. You know our foibles, our failures, our fears. You know the times when we have probably even denied knowing you. When a family member or a friend at work scoffed or when some other Christian got a little bit too loud or a little bit too aggressive and we thought, oh, I'm not going there. You know the times when we've been tempted to walk away from it all or we've hit some wall that we could not understand that drove us to our knees again and again and again. But I pray that you'll continue to lift us up, that you'll continue to cause us to put our our faith and our hopes on Jesus and to lean on him for strength. And I pray that as we become more and more resilient, despite all that we know about ourselves, that you will do even greater things through our recovered faith. Lord, I pray for anybody here who may be in this particular congregation this morning or listening online who's battling with alcohol or some other addiction or a medical crisis or a lack of confidence. I pray that you will give us the ability to trust you in these very hard, confusing times and in the right moment, in the right way, that you'll restore us to strength, but with a new strength, with your strength, with an uplifting strength, with a hope that overrides all the fears that still stay with us, with a hope that overrides all the temptations that are still around us, with a hope that is steeled by knowing that there's nothing that we can do that will ever shock you, but you just don't quit because your plans are so great that sometimes you know our moments of failure long in advance, and because you don't give up, we find the strength to not give up either. May your recovery strength sweep over us and do great things in us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you.